Good morning, precious church. If you would turn in your Bibles to that text that was just referenced in Genesis chapter 6, I would advise you to warm up your fingers a little bit because we got a lot of Bible passages this morning. We're going to be looking at several things as we attempt to address a topic that I think will be applicable to every one of us and meaningful, particularly in the time in which we all live. I've told you before that as I travel the country, not only here at Waterford, but other places where I preach, be it far out in California or down in Texas or in the South or wherever it may be, I sense a greater feeling of dread and concern among God's people than ever before in my life about what's going on in our culture and our society. And indeed, our culture is transforming rapidly. I mean, it's changing. It's hard to keep up every day, isn't it? In fact, if you were to look at some of the things that are happening today and some of the outlooks people have about things and go back 15 years, we would have never believed that we'd be where we are right now. And wicked men, it shouldn't surprise us because wicked men and wicked women are acting wickedly it should never surprise God's people when sinful people do sinful things or promote sinful ideas yet it is somewhat overwhelming that it's happening so rapidly so quickly and it's almost as if we can't keep up with it all there are several ways that Christians can respond one is we can look and as we mentioned just a moment ago we can realize well shouldn't surprise us. And if we are any sort of, even an elementary student of history, it really shouldn't surprise us, even biblical history. Because we're going to see different folks in different periods of time in our own timeline as the people of God that make our culture look just kind of normal, kind of average. In fact, even sometimes that make our culture look not quite as bad as some of the cultures that have been. So that's one way we could look at it. Another way we could look at it is we could become combatant. I see this sometimes in the church. Where we think it's our personal mission to change society. Now that can be a good thing and it can not be a good thing. Depending on how we're approaching it. I think Chuck approaches it quite well. Chuck Anderson is trying to change our world. And he's doing it the Bible way. One waitress... One stranger, one person that he meets at a time, trying to change who they are, which has a profound impact upon the world around them. I mean, you change one person, that impacts their husband, their wife, their children, their family, their grandparents. It affects their friends, their co-workers. It's a reasonable and, in fact, a biblically mandated way to change the world. But we also are tempted to try to change the world through worldly means to make it less worldly. I find that to be intriguing. We think that the way to solve man's problems is to argue with sinful man and to stoop to their level and, you know, say the most insultive thing that we can or perhaps try to point out the unreasonable nature of the way they look at things. Let me be very clear. 
You can't convince anybody that you're right unless you convince them that your worldview is right. Doesn't matter about a specific point of view on a specific law or a specific idea or ideology until you look at it from the same general perspective. Correct? I mean, you can't convince anyone that, the, that morality is good and right if they don't believe in God. you got to start at the root problem. Believing in God. So the way we change people is one-on-one. But yet we tend to respond to our world in combativeness. Which can be good if it's fighting the devil one-on-one with the hearts of men as our objective. But sometimes we don't do that. And the other thing we sometimes respond with is despair. A sense of trepidation and fear and wringing our hands and saying, oh, how did it get to this point? It's never going to be good again. And it's a glass half empty approach. And it causes us, frankly, not to do anything except to sit and wallow in our own misery when we're supposed to be a people of joy. So today what I want us to do is kind of go through biblical history, particularly just in the first book, the book of Genesis, and look at some case studies of different times that society had gotten really bad. The reasons for that and how it is that God's people would respond in a spiritual, biblical way to the root causes of society's utter corruption. Now in Proverbs 14.34, the wise man says, The righteous exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. That is true today, and it's been true in every one of these examples that we're going to examine. And the question we have to ask ourselves, when we consider the status and direction of our culture that we cannot deny, we cannot avoid, we cannot pretend that it doesn't exist. The haunting question is, can and does the church of Jesus Christ make a real difference in a wicked world? Do we make a real difference? There, I read a story of a small town newspaper that ran front page article and this may be fictional I'm not sure but it it does illustrate the point and it said good news the tornado that went through town last week that blew away the church on 5th street did no real damage to the town now just wrap your mind around the wording of that And it's sobering because we have to ask the question, if this church wasn't here, would there be an impact on the society around us? Would it make any difference at all to Waterford, Michigan? To the lives of people here? And if the answer is no or I don't know, then we need to take a serious look Not just at what's going on in society, but what are we doing? Who are we? And are we having a powerful impact for good in a world of evil? 
So we turn first of all to Genesis chapter 6 that was read for us a moment ago. I won't read it all again because we have a lot of lengthy readings and passages. This is a unique, interesting text that's going to lead into, of course, the event of the great flood. And what I think is so profound here is this idea of the sons of God who saw and thought the daughters of men were beautiful. Now, someone is going to come up to me after service today and ask me, who are the sons of God? You'll find, if you Google that question, don't do it right now, please, but if you Google that question, you will find a lot of interesting answers. Some theologians think, and they'll reference a passage in Jude, that angels actually came and had relations with the daughters of men, and that produced these giants called the Nephilim. I don't know that that's the case. Other scholars believe that the sons of God mean the direct godly descendants of Seth, the son of promise. I love to say those words, Seth, the son of promise. But of Seth, the son of promise. And so, in other words, the, the good line, the righteous folks who were still serving God, that they were attracted to the daughters of the wicked people, and they started to have children. I don't know which one it is. In fact, I'm not even going to give an opinion because it really doesn't matter to the interpretation of this passage. What you have is you have these sons of God who should not be marrying the daughters of wicked men, but they are, whether they're angels or the good line of God's people, whatever it is. They are. And so what that tells us is their true corruption, their root problem is the sin of participation. They were joining in and participating with those they should not. They were joining in and participating with wickedness when they were the sons of God and they should have been prioritizing God and putting Him first. Rather than that, they just blended in with the crowd. Now, in this text, it talks about the fact that they had become putrid and wicked, that they had become truly evil to the point that God regretted making mankind. Now, there were evil men before, but God didn't regret making mankind until the sons of God engaged in participation with the daughters of men because of their evil. You know an interesting thing about the word evil? I, I, I bet this will be the part that some of you remember above all the rest. Evil is spelled E-V-I-L. Spell it backwards. L-I-V-E. That spells live. Do you know that's exactly what evil is? It's to live backward. It's to live in the reverse way that God intended man to live. That's what evil is. It's the antithesis. It's the opposite of all that is good and designed and purposeful. So evil is the opposite of good and evil is also the opposite of living, of real living. And indeed, that's who they were, what they'd engaged in. Their sin was the sin of participation. It followed this course. 
evil. They were at outs with God. When they became corrupt, they were at outs even with themselves. And then they became violent and they were out at outs with even their fellow man. It's a progression. The antediluvians, that's what we call this generation. Their sin, their great destruction of society was when the sons of God started acting like the daughters of men. The sin of participation. Then we turn over to Genesis chapter 11. Verses 1 through 9. You'll know this story from Sunday school as the story of the Tower of Babel. Verse 1, then the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass that they journeyed from the east and they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there. And they said to one another, come out and let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. For they had bricks for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens And let us make a name for ourselves. Verse 5. But the Lord came down from the city and to the tower which the sons of man had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people who who are they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be impossible or withheld from them. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there all over the face of the earth. And they ceased the building of the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel. Because the Lord confusion confused the language of the earth. Now, this story is familiar to us. It's a classic Sunday school tale. But in it, we see that their society had become corrupt as well. But rather, their Sin was not just participation. They were participating with one another. In fact, so much so in their evil devices that God said, I got to do something about their ability to participate with one another. But the true heart of their issue, the true root cause of their sin is because they said in verse 4, let us make a name for ourselves. You see, with our scientific understanding and advancement today, all these thousands and thousands of years later, we realize that their ambition was rather silly. You can't build a tower and get to heaven. Because at some point, had they built it tall enough, they would have started passing out from lack of oxygen. Right? I mean, you get up so many thousand feet, you can't even breathe. They don't know that. But they think they know everything. Don't they? How ridiculous. God wasn't going to scatter them because they could actually do it. He scattered them because of the arrogance that they thought that they could do it. They're saying, let us do, we can do anything ourselves. We can reach heaven And we can get all the glory for it. You see, if the sin of the antediluvians that was destroying their society was participation, the sin of those at Babel that was destroying their society was pride. It was pride. And what does the Bible tell us so aptly about pride? Well, you can see it repeated in different ways with different phrases throughout Proverbs. 
Pride goeth before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. And then we look at the third case study in chapter 19 of the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 19, we see another of our famed Sunday school stories in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember that God had bargained with Abraham. Abraham was quite the negotiator. For he'd gotten God to work his way down to if there's just a handful of righteous remaining, God won't destroy the city. But this city was truly corrupt. In fact, it tells us in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 19, angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate with Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and he bowed with his face toward the ground. He said, here, my lords, please turn to your servant's house and spend the night. Wash your feet. Verse 3, but he insisted strongly and they turned and came to his house. Verse 4, now when they lay down the men of the city of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they said to Lot and to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out that we may know them carnally. We don't have to go into detail as to what that means. But here's what we know. Here's a city where not only are they going to engage in acts of depravity, they want to do that and force that upon total strangers. And what we see about this culture, Sodom had to be destroyed by God because they lived in the sin of perversion. Perversion. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 6 says, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrowing, making them an example unto those after who should live ungodly you see Sodom and Gomorrah this perversion had become so corrupt they didn't even know what was right and what was wrong they just thought that whatever they personally wanted was acceptable was good and so in these three examples we see three societies that are all I mean they're just going down the tube and the reasons are different for all three. Their perversion, pride, and of course participation. Now, if we were to ask the question, which one of those is our society? And if it's a multiple choice, it'd be A, you know, participation, B, it would be pride or C, perversion, but there'd be a D. All of the above. Which would it be? All of the above. We live in a culture, a society, where unfortunately folks who should know better, the sons of God, are participating in the wickedness of man. We live in a culture that is so arrogant that man thinks he can do anything because he's been able to build an iPhone. And we have cars that drive themselves. I still won't trust them, but apparently we do. I even trust Lenora's driving better than that. 
She laughed, so I'm not in trouble. You know, we live in a society that is so prideful that thinks they have all the answers. And that man's wisdom is so much above. And we live in a society of perversion. And as I look at the perversion around us, I feel so sad for mankind. Because men around us, women around us, they don't even know what is good and what is right. They don't even know who and what they are. You know that's true. And so we see all of these things in our own culture. And we have to ask, is if we are the church, are we making a difference? And to do so, we have to ask, how do we make a difference? How do we have victory over such a society? We have to address the three root causes. First of all, as God's people, we must not participate. We must remain separate. The Bible uses the word sanctified. It uses the word holy. And it basically means just this, different. We have to be different. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul says, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. That means in this material world, your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then he says, and be not conformed. Translation, don't participate with this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He tells us we can't be a people who are like everyone else around us. We have to be the sons and daughters of God. And not become like the sons and daughters of men. We have to be different. That's why he calls us pilgrims and strangers in a foreign place. And it will be costly. I pray that never again do we give the impression that being a Christian is easy. For two reasons. First of all, it's a lie. And second of all, because nothing that's easy is worthwhile. Nothing easy is of value. And this pearl of great price is of the greatest value. There was an old saint I read of who was told by a sister. She said, I would give the whole world if I could be as good and as holy as you, to which he responded without missing a beat. Sister, that's exactly what it cost me. It's costly. It's difficult to be different. But it's who we're called to be. And folks, we will never win this world by being like this world. We will never change this world by being a Christian version of what they are. We will never change it by getting into debates and getting just as ugly as they get. 
using the same tactics that they use. We will never win this world by trying to strong arm people into doing what's right. That cannot be done. We will win and change this world by offering a totally, radically different alternative. Radically different. We must be holy. We must not participate. The second thing that we have to address is the corruption of pride. James 4.10, we know this text, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will exalt you. He will lift you up. We should always, and this is the difficult part, we always need to leave the exalting to God. I promise you this, it doesn't always come in our own timing, but God's better exalting you than you are at exalting yourself. Absolutely true. In Ephesians chapter 4, 1 and 2, Paul says, Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you to walk worthy of the vocation to which you were called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing with one another in love. Folks, as we interact with people in this world, it won't be a sense of pride that equals theirs. Even if it's pride in better things, it won't be a sense of pride that equals theirs that will impact and change. It will be a sincere, honest display of real humility. Real humility. I heard once about the effects of pride illustrated with a man in a hot air balloon. I've never been in a hot air balloon. Maybe some of you have. Just doesn't have much appeal to me. Seems like a really slow way to be really high up, you know. But um, so I've never been in one. But this man was in a hot air balloon, and and sure enough, as he rose higher and higher, he was certainly above everybody below him. But as he rose higher and higher, they looked smaller and smaller and smaller. That's kind of how pride does, right? It causes all the people you think of as below you to look smaller and smaller. And smaller, But here's the thing that those in pride, those in the balloon of pride don't realize. Is that as they look smaller and smaller to you, as they look at you, as you elevate yourself with pride, you look smaller and smaller to them. We need to display an honest, sincere, authentic, Authentic humility rather than stooping to the sin of pride which is destroying our world. And thirdly, we cannot, we cannot engage in the perversion. We must be horror struck at sin and do our best to turn away with it. Satan tries to make that which is perverse seem normal and right. And he has done a magnificent job at that evil objective. He makes the evil things look right. In Romans 12, 9, it says, Let love be without dissension and abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. 
hate what is evil. Now, don't hate evil people. That's the problem sometimes, is we transfer our disgust and our hatred of sin to the sinner. Sinners are the objective. The reason we hate sin is because it's destroying the sinner. That's why we hate sin. Because we hate what it does to them. And we, folks, Satan has done a good job even of impacting the sons of God, the daughters of God. And causing us to sometimes change the way we see things. When I was a kid, my parents didn't allow me to watch two different TV shows. And every now and again, if they weren't paying attention, I would sneak a peek. Because, you know, the forbidden is so enticing. One was called Taxi. And the other one was, my parents thought, the most evil thing that had ever been produced in any television or movie studio called Three's Company. Because it depicted a man and two women who were not married living together. Now, compared to what we see today, it's rather tame. They live together, but they live in different bedrooms. There's no indication that there's immorality in that show. Well, maybe, with, uh, but not between the people who live in the house. And just to show you how far we've come, is that was a whooping offense in my house. It was beyond just a whooping offense. There were two kind of whooping offense in the Williams house. There was a dad's going to sling off his belt and whoop you. And there was a you got to go cut your own switch whooping offense. That was like capital punishment, okay? This was a switch offense. And now, it's one of the premiere shows on Nickelodeon. You know what Nickelodeon is? It's a kid's channel. Competitor of Disney Channel. How far has society come? I don't think that Nickelodeon would play shows that kids got the switch for. Well, maybe they would, I don't know. They probably want to imprison my dad for making me cut a switch. But you see, we've changed because the devil has impacted the thinking of even God's people. And if you're honest about it, he's impacted all of our thinkings at least a little bit. Because in some way or another, we're desensitized. Even in our adult life, just 10 years ago, when Lenore and I would see some forms of sinfulness, homosexuality and others on a television show, it was absolutely shocking to us. And now it's on almost every one. And in truth, we have to be honest with this, we just aren't as disgusted as we used to be. I mean, of course, we would never think that's right. But used to, it's like, <gasps> turn it! Now it's like, just hang on, fast forward, it'll be over in a minute. You know, I mean, it's just, I, I, honestly... We need to do honest self-evaluation because the things that are destroying our culture and the people we love, the people we work with, our neighbors, family, our friends are the same things that have destroyed societies throughout mankind's existence. Participation, pride, and perversion. 
What are we doing about it? Now, if you haven't gotten the subtle hint, I'm going to get really plain. The way you do something about it is you don't need to go home and put a meme on Facebook. Or write a long, argumentative treatise on Twitter. Because here's how people out there are going to see that. That you have pride. And that you are going to argue with them. And that Christians are intemperate and judgmental. You see, that's trying to win them with their tactics. Let's start responding with the opposite of the world's problems. Holiness instead of participation. Humility instead of pride. And real holiness, godliness instead of perversion. Because I don't know about you, but when I do turn on the news or watch a show or listen to the radio and I think, wow, things are bad. I want that to transition into a moment of hope where I realize but you know I'm doing something about it. This morning if you need to come for any reason, maybe if you're honest with yourself, you've participated a little too much. Or perhaps you've approached it all in the wrong way with pride rather than with humility. Maybe you've turned people away instead of drawing them to an alternative. Or perhaps maybe there's even been some sin, some perversion in your own life. The beautiful thing about the Lord is grace. I, I was hurt. A friend of mine last night we were talking about, we've been working a little bit on our house trying to get it ready to, to sell. And, and we were, I was talking about some trim and how it gets a little wavy. He said, just use caulk. Caulk's like grace. It covers up everything. You know, he's right. If you struggle with any of those things or anything else, this is a place where you can be honest, where you can ask forgiveness and help and prayer because everyone in here is a redeemed sinner. Everyone in here has has their death sentence commuted because they were issued a pardon. Because everybody in here was guilty. If we can pray for you, if we can encourage you. Don't let the devil talk you into just staying in your seat. Come right now as we stand and as we sing.